Welcome to Show Us Your Bits podcast. It's season three. This is the podcast about the stories behind the jewellery and the keepsakes we love. Each week we talk to storytellers, makers, artists, founders and entrepreneurs about their most loved treasures. I'm Alice Rivers-Cripps, the founder and creative director of Posh Totti Designs, the original hand-stamped jewellery company, and we're celebrating our 20th year this year. Oh, Alice, that's great. And I'm Josie Lloyd, an author of novels like The Cancer Ladies Running Club and Life Saving for Beginners, as well as parodies and screenplays. But most of all, Alice, I love a good natter. So do have a listen and please do like, rate, review and share with your friends. And please get in touch with us on Instagram or Facebook at Show Us Your Bits Podcast if you have an interesting piece of jewellery or an anecdote you'd like to share. Let's get on with the show! So I'm really, really excited by today's guest. Honestly, Alice, I am so excited that you've introduced me to this person because I would never have known. I mean, very cool of you to have such a cool friend. She is amazing. <laughs> How and, did you meet her? Um, yeah, and I'm, I feel very fortunate to be able to call her a friend. Um, yeah, no, she basically is the most phenomenal artist I've ever laid eyes on. And she was in her house in Central Brighton making up phenomenal art and then she basically had um, an open house every year she used to do an open house and she'd get a collective of artists together to kind of sell their wares through the May festival and so I was yeah I was lucky enough to be chosen to sell in her house. So this is back before Posh Totti right? This is right back in the day so I was still called Posh Totti Designs but I was not making what I was making now you know I was making all sorts of beady bits and bits out of electrical wire and all sorts of crazy stuff so I basically was selling it there and I really kind of got to kind of really see how it worked and it was the first place I ever sold my stuff yeah, it was just amazing because I basically ended up kind of under the wing of these incredible artists who kind of looked after me and kind of showed me the ropes and we took it from there. And, and then I did it for a few years and it was just amazing because you've got all these people that would come in and they'd give you feedback. Yeah. Um, and they would come in, you know, most people come in to have a nose at the house. Yeah. Uh, that's what I generally find with open houses. But once they're there and they're seeing all the art, it's just like everybody's always really inspired by it. So... If you get the opportunity, then in May, head to Brighton yeah, and go come to the on open down. houses. Because it's so amazing. And I've made it a thing, that I, a tradition that I do every single year to go on the trail of all the open houses. And There's just so much talent out so there. So our lovely guest, Mary Jane Ansell, who is an exhibitor in the National Portrait Gallery. She exhibits in New York. She exhibits, exhibits in LA. She is really quite a phenomena and getting to be very well known on the portraiture scene. Now lives in Wales, in the middle of rural Wales. And we caught up with her there on the Zoom. So apologies if the sound is a little <laughs> bit... She said, she said that it had been raining and um, and that the electrical wires, the copper wires... <laughs> Wales didn't really like the whale, the rain. So she is. So we were very us. lucky to we're, actually get we're hold of her. We were actually very lucky to get hold of her. But let's get her on and have and find out what she's been up to because she really is so inspiring. Here she is, Mary Jane Ansell. Woo! Mary Jane Ansell, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome to Show Us Your Bits podcast. Oh, good morning, ladies. This is so such a pleasure. Such well, a pleasure to see you. We're so excited. Me. I mean, what a phenomenal talent. But I just want to know the story because I'm, you know, a magpie author. So careful, you might land up in a novel. How on earth did you get 
to where you are painting these phenomenal portraits. Give us a bit of a background about how you got here. Ah, well, I think I'd always just really love people. I mean, probably like you, I love stories about people. Yeah. And I think I probably, I think I've always been more visual than narrative in a sense. So, so, um, so when I'd observe people, I'd be thinking I'm collecting a story about them, but it's a visual story. So I think that translated into portraiture. I didn't sort of know it initially, but it became an obvious strand that I needed to go down with my with my work. But yeah, just as a visual artist, I've always just been a, a really visual person. So always drawing, always sort of collecting photographs and everything that I would sort of store away and they become sort of sketchbooks and ideas and through through university and my I did an illustration degree which was sort of the wrong and the right thing to do for me it ended up being uh, in Brighton which was a fantastic place to study which is how I know Alice as well um, and absolutely loved studying in, in Brighton but yeah through, through that degree course I sort of realized that thankfully we, we we still had access to a life model and even the fine art courses I don't think had that opportunity so it was, it was a really weird time when sort of um, painters were sort of becoming much more you know less about figurative work and much more about sort of ideas and it was all sort of YBAs and the kind of Sachi Sachi kids and uh, yeah so I just I just went into the room and spent three years sort of drawing drawing people and came out and thought that's what I should have done. I think what's amazing about your work is that it's so real and it feels so kind of like classic in its design it's so pre-raphaelite kind of art isn't it and and you know but the but it looks like a photograph like it I mean the way you design it and the background and everything else is so kind of stunning with you know it's just it's just incredible <laughs> I just can't even put it into words how amazing uh, work is and I don't know any artists that can paint like you so when you were young did your teachers were they kind of grabbing you going come on do more do more because I mean the eyes and the so bless you thank you for saying that no I mean that's that's completely something that I I ended up sort of sort of teaching myself but no I mean all of my art teachers were always pushing us much more away to in the sort of more conceptual or abstract or they weren't at all interested in pictures painting pictures of people just fell out of fashion completely so it, it sort of ended up being you know something that I had to teach myself so I'd sit in front of the mirror for years you know or, or grab sort of people and insist that they came and sat for me or you know friends daughters or friends children or just spent years sort of doing it and, and hiding all the terrible work that I produced for years and years and years and not sharing it I mean thank god I didn't grow up in the age of Instagram because everybody's sharing everything <laughs> so quickly and you've got no space to kind of develop and develop your work so do you think you wouldn't have developed as much if you were growing up now in the Instagram period I think it would have been a lot harder. I, I, I teach online as well, so I do some, some and some of, uh, quite a lot of my students are saying the same thing. You know, that how do they bridge this gap of sort of sharing work? Because it feels like you're suddenly showing work, and, and that work then doesn't go away. So if you you know if you're not not really finding your voice or your work doesn't feel very consistent or it doesn't feel up to a certain quality, you're all, that work's always going to be out there. So you're the galleries are going to see it. They might write you off because they think you're not what they're looking for. And actually, you just need that time to develop. And it's interesting, isn't it? When I write a book, it marinates over time and you kind of 
you don't ever send in the first draft and expect that to be published. You know, you it takes a while for the kind of whole thing. And for me, I don't really know what the actual shape of it is until I've written the last line and I go, oh, it was that. Mm. And it's quite interesting because I went to the portrait gallery with um, my daughter the other day and she was looking at all those incredible pictures and, all, and was studying the symbolism in the pictures of Elizabeth I and all of the things that were on, the, the messages in the pictures. And I noticed that with your art, you style... You style your model so beautifully, but you put in lots of symbolism, don't you? You tell a story about the person that's not just about what they're wearing and their face. So can you tell us a bit about that and how you go about styling? Because that seems to be a real, really classic thing and, and something, of course, that will give your work longevity. But is that something you add in afterwards or is it something you plan from the beginning? And do they get involved with that? Well, they, no, they do. Absolutely, absolutely, they do. I mean, that's so. Yeah, and and haven't the portrait gallery done a fantastic job with yeah. their refurbishment? It's a, it's fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If people haven't gone, I think it's it's such a high it's such a high rec recommendation. They just I'm doing a commission of two two young women in um in America at the moment, and I'm doing exactly this process. So my sort of fact finding. Is similar to yours in a sense. So I'm sort of building that character and building that picture of a character. I gave them a whole sort of questionnaire of what are the kinds of, are there any characters in, in literature that you identify with? Are there any objects that are particularly personal to you? You know, it could be jewellery. It could be, you know, it, it could be any kind of imagery that sort of strikes a chord with them. And then that all goes into my sort of ideas that that being able to layer a sort of a story behind them or with them, whether it's jewelry, whether it's um, secreting little shapes in shadows or a particular book in the background or particular flowers, then all of these things have symbolism. And it's fantastic that you know the whole of our history is filled with symbolisms and and different sort of languages of, symb of symbolism. So you've got so much to draw on. So I'm sort of going back to Greek mythology at the moment with one of the, she's a, a, a real classicist. But yeah, it's it's all of those things are just layer on layer. And it's nice to have sort of little Easter eggs where you're not quite sure. The sitter knows you know, but perhaps the viewer doesn't really know. How do you feel as an artist about the big reveal? So when somebody sits for you and they've you've done a portrait of them, how do they react? I'm watching their face so intently when they when they see it for the first time. But actually, quite a lot, quite a lot of the time now, they'll have seen it before because I like to keep them. I, I sort of share work in progress with them, so they know they're never going to have a big surprise at the end. So there isn't so much of that big reveal. I would just like to say that as somebody who has sat for you, you know, I remember working with you. And the stages of going through it. And obviously, initially, we were going to do it naked. And then I backed out of that because I could <laughs> do it without giggling. <laughs> so many times trying to yeah. stop. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. In the end, I wore this dark red dress that was like my favorite dress. But I remember you saying, you know, like, we're going to, you're going to lie on your bed. You're going to have all your favorite things around you. And you made me feel so comfortable. And I still have that duvet. And it was 18 years ago that you gave me that painting also the um jewelry that I'm wearing is that was a real time in my life where that was my favorite collection and it was so special and that's the kind of thing that I think is so amazing 
about what you do. You kind of stop time yeah. with this this creation where a hundred years from now, people will remember me with that necklace. Even though things have actually changed, I still will be remembered in that moment. And, you know, I'm aging and I'm looking at this picture and going, oh, wow, I used to look like that. <laughs> it's just amazing. Quite often I'll paint people more than once because it's kind of capturing you at a particular time, especially if it's you're painting, I paint quite a lot of pictures of, of children and then they change so much. And they can, you know, you can see each stage is such a, a lovely thing to be able to capture. But yeah, it does. It kind of does cement that moment, and it does make it kind of timeless. What are the things that exactly. you wear the most? What should, if you were going to have your portrait painted? What would you yeah. wear, jewelry wise? Probably, I uh, probably the two pieces that I'm wearing at the moment, which are the, the tourmaline um, necklace and the ring that I I bought myself. I think probably when I started making, a, you know, when I became sort of, uh, it became possible for me to buy a few things for myself that were, were nicer when I started, you know, working. It's sort of quite difficult making a career as a painter. And I started making a bit of money. And I thought, well, I'm going to celebrate, which I think you should always do, is sort of celebrate your little milestones. So I bought this ring from a jewellery in Brighton at the Brighton Craft Centre in the Dome, Abby Mozeri. And I think she still has a studio in Lewis. And I saw this gorgeous color of this ring, absolutely fell in love with it. And the very plain, simple shape of it. It's a round stone, isn't it? It's a round, not and is cut, it not metal. Yeah, is it, is it a cabochon? And it's mixed metal, isn't it? It's silver and gold, yeah, isn't it? silver yeah. and gold. So, and I asked her at the time to make me a necklace to go with it, but she couldn't find a stone that was big enough. It took a couple <laughs> of years to find the, the stone and I'd looked up into Sri Lanka because I think tourmalines are typically from Sri Lanka and we couldn't find a stone. Anyway, here we are. I was so thrilled when she rang me up finally and said, I have one. It's actually, oh. yeah. And yeah, so these are my favourite pieces. I wear them all the time. And do so, they give you a little sense of um, empowerment that you bought them for yourself? They're your choice. Because often we get given jewellery, don't we? And we get, we're kind of foisted with other people's taste in a way so it's actually really wonderful to have and very empowering I should imagine to have your thing that you've designed and that, that represents, that your represents you so do you look at it and go yeah you know I am an artist I am you know I'm properly in my power doing my thing living the dream absolutely <laughs> absolutely I don't know about that but yeah no, it is it is it's something that and I'm very particular about I don't wear very much jewelry at all I have lots of pieces I bought lots but I don't actually wear very much of it. So yeah, these two pieces just feel the truest to me. What else have you got to come, you bought today to show us? One lovely thing I think is the connection with, with having my own pieces designed also. My mum actually did exactly the same thing when she, she started working, she started a, um, a, a company before my brother and I came along. And when she made a little bit of money for herself, she had a couple of rings designed as well by a jeweler in Birmingham. And they're, again, Corbuchon, I think, or they're, they're sort of pillow cut, so they're not as faceted. They're still, and she'd been so attracted as well to just a very strong green colour uh, of, a, of a, a, a sapphire. And she had two, two rings made that she always wore as well. So again, I think something about that empowerment, like you said, it's... You're sort of you're putting your own status symbol, I guess, for want of a better 
expression it probably it is it's that something that's marking your independence something that says i've i've done something for myself i think yeah in the 60s that was important to her and do you wear those rings now at all do you wear them or do you look at them no i don't i don't i sort of i see my mum when i look at them i absolutely see my mum's fingers and it, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like i want to put them on my fingers but it just feels like they, they need to stay with my memory of my mum's hands wearing them so I keep them in a little bowl by my bed so that they're in a little dish. Oh, that's so lovely. It's beautiful. Yeah. And we've actually noticed that quite a few people have had the same kind of experience. And I, I don't know, I was talking to my mother and she said the same thing, that she wouldn't be able to wear her mother's like engagement rings because it would bring back, you know, because yeah. she can see her hand. And so I totally yeah. appreciate that. I think that's a really... Yeah, I think lots of people probably feel. Yeah. I have my mother's. I have my mother's wedding ring, and I can't wear it. It was something that was so precious to her, and it's sort of, in for me, it's kind of infused with her stuff, and I don't really know that I want to wear that because it was her. Yeah, her it's almost stuff. it's almost like her signature style. Yeah, you know, the, the, but it's that. also imbued with her own her feelings towards her own marriage and my dad that are kind of private to her and they don't really belong on me. And I don't know whether I'm putting an enormous amount of emotional baggage on a piece of jewellery, but I think people do, don't they? And it's kind of interesting because we get family heirlooms and then nobody wants to wear them because it's too... It's so true. I mean, I have got a family heirloom ring. So it's a, it's a lovely sort of... It's such a pretty Victorian filigree gold filigree band with three little diamonds it was passed to the women in, in my family at 21 and i know i know for certain it, it was certainly my great grandmother's and it might have been a little bit older but and it's exquisite and i mean it's been stretched so many times it's so thin because of different it's different sizing and everyone's worn it and i mean i've worn it a few times it's that connection through different women but it doesn't feel like your ring it's an heirloom but it, it certainly doesn't feel like my ring so I don't really wear it because it doesn't feel like me yeah but it's just very lovely to have in terms of your jewelry then I know that your partner has bought some of the posh totty designs jewelry in the past okay he has I mean we've actually we've actually got quite a, um, a lovely long history of, of, of sort of sharing our creative past haven't we Alice because many 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 moons ago you were kind enough to come and show some of your work, very early work, I think, in one yes. of my open houses 20 years ago. Something oh my like gosh. That. Yeah, it must have been 20 years ago. I mean, we're celebrating 20 years this year, so it must have been. And um, actually, that was the first show I'd ever done. There was a lot of different, I mean, that's what's amazing about the open houses, is it's such a kind of, you just get to meet so many incredible artists all in their own fields doing amazing things creating amazing paintings back then and then you went on to be in like the National Portrait Gallery and win all these awards and you know you're all over the world now you're phenomenal so it's kind of oh yes well I mean my goodness I mean you know a, a woman with an incredible empire thank you very much I mean, Brighton Festival is an incredible thing and you know so to share that history is lovely with you and I think and I've always I've always sort of bought bought a few pieces from Posh Totti and my partner Richard so I started this lovely tradition that we have, we keep going now, which is when I've finished a body of work, he'll buy me a, a piece and engrave it with my sort of, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely way to mark the moment. 
It is a lovely way to mark the moment. And it also means that you'll have that forever. You know, that's the one thing about jewellery that is so precious is that like you're looking at that Victorian ring that's been passed down, you will be able to pass those down and people won't necessarily know what the story is. You know, you will know. You'll know. Yeah. It's a matter of interest. How do you name your body of work? So when you put a show on, how does the name of the show come about? It's funny because I'm working towards a show in September in New York at the moment. and, And the name of the show has sort of been kind of starting to emerge and it's 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 something that kind of has it's almost I suppose that how do you come up with the name of a book it's it must be a similar kind of an idea I find it I find it really difficult because you're trying to find something that encapsulates the meanings that you've got with it with within the body of the work but it has to sort of exist as as, as something over and above it but it has to kind of you've got lots of disparate things within the project within the body of the work um so it has to kind of yeah have have a meaning that that is appropriate for everything but yeah you want something that kind of feels kind of special in itself I don't know how how do you come up with names for books sometimes they're obvious they are just there sometimes you will have a name of a book and then sometimes a terrible thing happens and a publisher will come in and go oh we've renamed your book we've we've spoken to sales and actually your title is completely different and it's a bit like putting a jumper on a child it's a very it's like don't wrap my baby up in clothes that I don't I haven't chosen because that's not (laughs) how I imagine it to be it's a very it's very difficult when that happens and that has happened to me a few times mostly though the the titles are mine but they do change and fashion changes with books of course and then you get copycat titles it's a it's a hot don't get me started (laughs) because we could be here all day talking about (laughs) you obviously were living in central brighton you were in the creative hub of brighton surrounded by artists everywhere yeah Um, and anyone who knows brighton will know that you you know varying styles and everything you know there was everything to pick from you know um yeah and now you're living in the countryside from what I, I imagine surrounded by sheep and cows yeah um exactly how do you find your models and how do you paint your models now yeah no it's exactly I mean talk about a culture shock I mean I had no idea quite how how much of a culture shock it was going to be to, to, to remove ourselves from this sort of cultural hub. And like you say, there was, I would regularly sort of see people on the street and ask them to sit for me. I'd sort of, you know, I'd always have business cards with me and ask people to go and sort of check out my Instagram and if they liked it, email me. And, you know, and on, on, almost always people would come back. I had very, very few people ever turn me down to, to sit. And I think that's, you know, because everybody... It was so sort of familiar with creativity in Brighton. It's it's everybody speaks a similarly creative language. We you know it's definitely a tribe of people there, which is wonderful. It's very much not that here, although that there is a very creative sort of thread that runs through these the, the, this this region. Finding models here is has been much more difficult. So I do have to go further afield. So I have ended up. I'll have to, I'll go into Manchester, I'll go into Liverpool. But what is it that attracts you to someone? If you're walking down the street and you see somebody go, oh, they'd be really good. What what draws your eye to a face to somebody? Is it their personality that's coming through? Is, there, is it their expression? But it could be it could be something that they're reminding me of, something incredibly classic, like they could have stepped out of a pre-Raphaelite painting. 
the Elkie who I work with quite a lot, you know, when I first saw her, she, she literally she could have stepped out of, you know, a water house or a Millet painting or, a, you know, and that was so sort of captivating. And because that's such an influence for me anyway, I, I really wanted to explore that. Or it could be that it's that somebody just has something um, that just immediately sort of inspires some some kind of fascination and I can see them in 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 a, in a painting are they and sometimes I've almost dreamt I've had this quite a few times I, I will dream images so I'll dream paintings before I sort of actually put pen to paper and I've seen the kinds of people that I want in the paintings in in my sleep you know in my dreams and this has happened a few times. And then I've sort of had to go and find people that look like that. Um, and, and most of the time, I eventually found them. But yeah, that's, that's happened a few times. It's kind of, it's quite strange. Tell me, what is the hardest thing for you? Because for me, in my novels, I'm, I'm my, one of my big faults and one of the things that I work on, um, I can do lots and lots of things very naturally, but I find timing quite difficult. So I will squash everything into a day. Yeah. So as an artist, what is it that you find problematic? Because I'm sure there must be something. It doesn't, is it kind of hair, noses? What is it? Eyes, surely it's no, eyes. Oh, eyes yeah, are no. the hardest. What no, is it? I mean, I think in terms of in terms of the painting itself, I think I think quite often actually students sort of say this, they'll have a problem with hair, for example, or they'll have a problem with hands or mouth. Or, I mean, mouth can be difficult. You know, I think um, Sargent always said that yeah, a portrait was a painting with something wrong around the mouth. Quite often, mouths will be something that will give a painting away or make it feel awkward. It might be, there's something, because mouths are always moving in, in when we're naturally looking at each other and we're talking to each other, you know, having a fixed mouth is quite an odd state to be. So it, it can look quite unfamiliar and quite, quite awkward in the painting. It's sort of, that's the part of the face that we don't recognise quite so much. I struggle with a sort of time management aspect of putting paintings together so it's the it's the overarching kind of how do you manage your time as a creative through the day you've got all sorts of other things that you've got to get done during that day so that that can be the thing that I'll struggle with quite a lot so I have to I have to I have to build routines that kind of get me into the studio and once I've I've got into the studio I have to feel like I can shut everything else out and I can just have my quiet hours in the studio without any sort of distractions coming in what is the process that you go through to paint a picture so it, so if it's if it's a if it's a portrait um the the process can can be quite a lengthy one so it could be so it'll start with lots of discussions about the ideas generally building up a picture of an idea of what that's that's going to sort of translate into what kind of narrative there might be and all that, all that will start possibly weeks, if not months, before an actual sitting takes place. Having a sitting, perhaps two. Um, I'll take lots of photographs during the sitting. I'll have put some sort of thumbnail sketches together so we know what we're aiming for in the sitting. And then I will go back to the studio and sort of put jigsaw-like piece together, all of the elements of the shots that I've taken in the reference, the sort of little sketches I've made, the kind of little... Um, paragraphs of text that I've written about them, their ideas, their input, and then something else will start to come together and then I'll put that down on paper with them and then 
start painting and then as I say sort of follow up with kind of work in progress so, so everybody knows that we're going in the right direction and that process can be like I said that can be months I mean there's been portraits that that have gone on for six months up to 12 months there's a lot of to and fro that can come come back and forth especially if it's a larger piece and a group piece but if it's a piece that I'm working on for exhibition um so sort of the pieces that I do for myself that's sort of how I think of them they're more more my sort of self-generated pieces they tend to start in a sort of similar way of ideas gathering and I'll work to themes and have a series and I like to work in a series that's what's amazing about your painters though is the detail that you go even down to the kind of the cuff of a, a blouse or you know the collar of a blouse or the button you know everything is such perfect detail and you've definitely got a signature style um with the porcelain skin and you know I've never seen any artist that can do that like you can do that so what is that magic do you know I, that's it's it's a really funny thing and again I was talking to a student recently how do you find your voice how do you find your style and that I don't and I think what I said to them at the time is don't worry about that don't don't focus on that because I think the most important thing is that you just do the work do the work keep doing the work and when you look back you'll see you had a voice you had a style all along it was there it can't help but be there everything gets processed through your eyes and your aesthetics and all of those sort of judgments you make and and you know you only kind of can produce work in the way that you'll produce it and it's unique to you and I think you do have to have faith because it's quite difficult to to know that when you're starting out but you know when you're I don't know I mean how how about you with your jewelry design how does how do you come up with designs that feel true to you well I, I totally agree with you I I Absolutely. From when we first started, when I first was in your house doing my little tiny collection, I remember being absolutely desperate to find my signature style and I would try all sorts of things and they weren't my signature. They were something that I'd been inspired by from a magazine or what was on trend or whatever. And then I think I found my signature when it came down to making very simple jewellery, but with the messages on there that were from other people, you know, like other people's personal messages. Um, and then that's where my kind of signature style built from there. And it was kind of classic pieces with special words on, I think, you know, so I totally agree with you. It's, it's, you've, you've got to find your signature style, but it takes time. Uh, Mary Jane, so inspiring. Can you tell our listeners where they can see some more of your work or where we can see an exhibition? What's, where's the best place to track you down? Yeah, so probably Instagram. I think Instagram is probably where I'm most active. So, and it's Mary Jane Ansel at Instagram. You can go to my website at maryjaneansel.co.uk. Um, and I've got a solo show coming up at Arcadia Contemporary in New York in September. And there'll be work at the Contemporary British Portrait Painters Summer Show in Brick Lane um, in June. So, yeah, so there's quite a few few exhibitions coming up in the next few months our theme for 2024 and we're we're talking about life hacks and being bold and um how do you get through what is your how do you navigate what is your little life tip or your kind of motto that we can take forward to have a positive 2024 oh gosh mm. let me think i i think i'm gonna i'm probably gonna go back to my 
my absolute motto that I, I have sort of up in my studio, which is make sure it's yourself that you're trying to impress. Make sure it's yourself that you're trying to um, improve on your last creation, whatever it was. Let that be your benchmark. Don't look outside for, for benchmarks to, to judge yourself against. Look at, look at your own, what you've done, and just build on what you've already achieved and go, go forward. So Mary Jane, thank you so much for coming on Show Us Your Bits podcast and showing us your bits. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you about it's your life and career in your, your incredible ongoing career. And we can't wait to see some of your work in action. Um, we'll be definitely along to some of your exhibitions. But until then, um, thank you very much. Lovely. Great to talk to you. Honestly, Alice, I'm utterly in awe. I am absolutely in awe and, and always have been. Um, she is just so special. But her work is so special. And if you haven't looked already, please look at her Instagram. Yeah, she's at Mary Jane Ansel. She and, yeah. is just a genius. I think we should definitely go to the portrait thing she was talking about in Brick Lane in yeah. June. And her work is in the National Portrait Gallery. And I honestly think that if anybody... I think the National Portrait Gallery is wonderful in itself. Anyway, it's had a bit just... of a refurb and it is phenomenal. I went there the other day and it is free. So what a it's, wonderful yeah, thing to do. It's an in, incredible thing to do when you're in London. In London. Um, but also I would say that she is going to go on to be even more famous as she, you know, her, she is, as yeah. she produces more and more work. Like she will be like, there isn't an artist like her that can do portraits. Uh, I think, you know, when you look at Lucian Freud and you look at other artists who are also phenomenal in their own right, they haven't got anything on her. No. Well, she is definitely somebody I will be fangirling in the future. And I hope to meet her in person. But what a wonderful guest. Thank you so much, Mary Jane Ansell. Do get in touch with us on Facebook, on Instagram, at Show Us Your Bits Podcast. If you have something that you would like to share with us. So until next time, ta-ra, ta-ra. <laughs>